All right, well, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. We are in our, our series, Torchbearers, where we are studying the book of Acts. And, of course, the title, Torchbearers, comes from... The, the Hawaiian word kalamaku, which means a flaming torch. And in Hawaiian culture, they believe that one generation passes the torch to the next to carry on the legacy of generations and to carry on the culture of their family. And so we believe that as the church, we are the torchbearers. The flame was lit on the day of Pentecost, and that torch has been passed from one generation to the next to carry on the mission of Christ Jesus and to advance the kingdom of God around the world. And so today, Kauai Bible Church, we are carrying the same torch that they were carrying in the book of Acts. And so that's why we are studying the book of Acts to, to get it into our DNA. What does it mean to have a book of Acts DNA? What does it mean to embrace the importance of the mission? What does it mean to connect ourselves to these people we read about in the Bible, that these aren't just superheroes, these aren't just people that are different than us, that did great things for God. No, these are people that were the same as us and that we're carrying on the same mission that we read about in the book of Acts. And so we did the introduction. We did part one, which is we believe. We did part two, which is we gather. And then last week, we tried to do part three, which is we pray, and we didn't get very far into it. So this week is part 3B, okay? It's part 3B, where we're just going to camp out on part 3 and continue to look at this concept of, of we pray. And, and, and we're going to uh, dig into this a little bit further. So if you've got your notes, and you can find the notes inside your bulletin, you can also find them on our church app. Uh, if you're watching the video, they're attached to the video. If you're listening to the podcast, they're attached to the podcast. Find the notes, and let's take a look at the notes. You can see this is our big picture point is this. To have a book of Acts DNA, we must recognize the power and importance of corporate prayer and integrate it into all of our gatherings. Remember, we talked about corporate prayer is not an extracurricular activity of the church. It's not just an extra thing that people do on the side when they want a little bit more. No, corporate prayer is a part of who we are, and it needs to be integrated into everything that we do. We read that quote last week from Armin Gesswine that said the early church didn't have a prayer meeting. The early church was the prayer meeting. And that's who we want to be. So Karen, just really quickly, we're just going to go through the, the vignettes that we talked about last week. And then we're going to pick it up uh, where we left off and start going through these notes. So remember our vignettes from the book of Acts. We looked at Acts chapter 1 and 2. That when Jesus left and he wanted to start a worldwide movement that would advance the gospel around the world, the only thing he left behind was a prayer meeting. The only thing he left behind was a prayer meeting. Then we looked at Acts chapter 4. And in the face of threats, when the church was being threatened by the Jewish leadership, what did they do? They had a prayer meeting. And they were filled with boldness and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 12, after James was murdered and Peter is thrown into prison, what did the church do? They gathered for prayer. And an angel came and supernaturally released Peter from prison. Acts chapter 16, when Paul was going into a new city and he needed to launch a church in a new city, but he didn't know anybody. How do you launch a new church? They went and found a prayer meeting. And a church was birthed when they found a prayer meeting. 
A little bit later in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were whipped and beaten and thrown into a dungeon. And in that condition, what did they do? They had a prayer meeting. And the earth shook and the doors flung open. And not only were they released from prison, but they led the jailer and his entire family to the Lord. And the church in that city continued to grow. And then we looked at Acts chapter 20 and chapter 21. When Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, he was stopping off and trying to meet with every church he could on the way. And every time, what did they do? They stopped and they prayed. And it was in that prayer that they found the comfort and the encouragement and the strength that they needed to continue on, even though the Holy Spirit kept telling them that Paul was going to face persecution when he got to Jerusalem. We see over and over again in the book of Acts that when there was a stimulus, the church prayed. And when the church prayed, there were results. Now, we talked about last week that for the Jewish people, gathering for prayer was a part of their culture already. So that when they came to Jesus as their Savior and the church was born, they kind of already had this culture of praying. And you can say today, well, a lot of people don't have that culture of praying. We talked about last week that the older generation a lot of times does. So that if you're maybe 50 or older or if you're 60 or older, you were kind of raised that if there's a meeting at the church, you're there and you always go. So you don't miss a prayer meeting and you don't miss a church service and you don't miss a gathering and you don't miss a business meeting and you don't miss any of that because that's how you were raised and that was the culture you were raised in. But for the younger folks, you weren't raised in that culture. And so the question I want to look at is this, is what's going to drive us to engage in corporate prayer if it's not something that's a part of our normal model. It, it's not a part of our culture. We weren't raised to just go to church all the time and be at every meeting. And, and so what's going to drive us to engage in corporate prayer? What's going to drive us to, to, to have a greater passion for this and to give ourselves more to this concept of praying together? And so you can see in your notes that I've got four ideas that I want to share with you as we have looked at uh, all these vignettes from the book of Acts. What is going to drive us to engage in corporate prayer? Number one is the Holy Spirit. Number one is the Holy Spirit. Right? What, what was significant about the birth of the church in the book of Acts? That it was birthed through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the church was growing and expanding through the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first prayer meetings is they were praying for the Holy Spirit, right? Acts chapter 1, the first prayer meeting they had, that's what they were praying for is, Lord, send the Holy Spirit. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, and he did send the Holy Spirit. And those first 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they had the power and the anointing to preach the gospel and to see people get saved, and the church begin to grow. And then in Acts chapter 4, they were praying for the boldness to keep sharing the gospel even when they were being threatened, right? They said, Lord, stretch forth your mighty hand to perform miracles and signs and wonders and give us the boldness to share your word. And what did it say happened when they prayed that prayer? It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not even what they were asking for. 
But the Holy Spirit brings the answer to what they were asking for. Because if you want boldness, if you want power, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so they're praying for boldness and power. And what does God do? He gives them more of the Holy Spirit. So listen, if we don't have a driving passion to pray and to pray a lot, then we got to start with the Holy Spirit. And we got to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Just like that first prayer meeting, they started with the Holy Spirit. Same with us. We've got to start with the Holy Spirit. And then it becomes this cycle, right? Because if I pray for the Holy Spirit and then God pours out the Holy Spirit, now I'm experiencing more of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? That means I want to pray more. And when I pray more, what happens? God gives us more of the Holy Spirit. And when I have more of the Holy Spirit, what do I want to do? I want to pray more. And it's this cycle that builds and builds, but it has to start somewhere. We've got to start praying for the Holy Spirit and for more of the Holy Spirit. And the more we pray for that, the more it's going to drive us to engage in corporate prayer. The second thought I want to share with you is this, is desperation. Is desperation. The church in the book of Acts was desperate. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. In earthly terms, they had nothing going for them. Right? They had nothing going for them. They had no money. They had no property. They had no influence in society. The Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders all hated them and wanted to kill them and eventually did start killing them at a very rapid rate, right? So everybody's against them. They didn't have any trained leaders in their midst other than those that Jesus raised up himself, right? So they didn't have a lot of strong leadership. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any real estate. They didn't have any influence. They were being attacked and killed and persecuted and murdered and thrown into prison, right? They didn't have a lot of resources, so they were struggling to have enough food to feed everybody. The church was desperate. But it was in that desperation that they prayed. And it was through those prayers that they started turning the world upside down. Nowadays, we don't live in a lot of desperation. Here in America, even in tough times, we're not super desperate. We have so many safety nets, right? We have so many government programs. We have so much access to, to resources and to help. Um, we don't live in a lot of desperation. In fact, we live in a, in, in a sense, a lot of ways, like we're in control of our lives, and we feel pretty stable that we've got things under control. And so because we lack that desperation... We lack a lot of passion for corporate prayer. If you look around the world right now, where is there the least amount of growth in the kingdom of God? Well, missiologists will tell you that the least amount of growth in the kingdom of God currently happens in North America, Western Europe, Japan, and Australia. Why? Because those are the most prosperous, stable nations in the world. And because they're prosperous and stable, there's not a lot of desperation, which means there's not a, not a lot of passionate corporate prayer going up. 
Where are we seeing great growth and explosive movements of God? In places like India and China and Eastern Africa and Central Asia. Why? Because they're desperate. And because they're desperate, they're praying. And they're gathering together to pray. Even if they have to hide, they have to gather in fields, they have to gather in caves, whatever the case may be. I want to pause for just a couple of minutes and I want to show you this video. And videos like this are hard to come by. Why? Because when the church is persecuted and underground, they don't film themselves a whole lot because that's a bad way to get caught and to get killed. And so it's hard to find these videos, but this is just one video that that I want you to see. This is a prayer meeting in the underground church of China. And I just want to share it with the church just to give us a sense of the desperation when people gather to pray. Check this out. That's what desperation looks like. When we are desperate to see God move, when we're desperate to see more miracles, when we're desperate to see more salvations, when we're desperate to see more restoration and more victory, we'll pray more. And when we pray more, we'll see revival. In 1857, America had a strong economy. Things were going tremendously well. And because of that, most people were losing interest in spiritual things. And there was one guy. His name was Jeremiah Lamphere. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a church leader. He was just a guy. But he was bothered 
by this apathy that he was seeing. And so he decided to start a prayer gathering. And he was in New York City. And so he went all over New York City and hung up signs everywhere. And, and they found a location and said, every Wednesday from noon to one, we're going to gather and pray. And so that first Wednesday came and six people showed up. And most of them showed up late. But then the next Wednesday, he gathered again. And this time, 20 people showed up. And then the next Wednesday, a few more people showed up. Well, before the fourth prayer meeting, it was October 10th of 1857 that the stock market crashed and created a financial crisis and a financial panic that swept through America. Suddenly, this little prayer meeting, this little lunch hour prayer meeting in New York City started seeing 10 to 50,000 businessmen gather every day to pray for an hour during lunch. And this prayer meeting began to jump and, and be birthed in every major city around the United States. And it started what has become known as the Second Great Awakening. Estimates say that in the two years from the beginning of this prayer meeting in New York City, over one million people in the United States gave their lives to Christ Jesus. At that time, there was only 30 million people in the total population. Desperation leads to prayer. In February of 1906, an itinerant preacher named William Seymour showed up in Los Angeles because the Holiness Church there in L.A. had invited him to come and speak at a series of meetings. So he speaks at the first meeting. And what does he preach on? He preaches on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Well, this topic was considered so controversial that when he showed up the next week to preach the next meeting, he found the doors of the church were locked. They wouldn't let him in. They wanted nothing to do with him. Now he's in Los Angeles. He's got no money. He's got no place to go. But there were two couples in the church who were intrigued by his message. So one of the couples invited William Seymour to come stay at their house so that he had a place to stay. The other couple invited William Seymour to start a prayer meeting in their house. Their house was at 216 Bonnie Bray Street, and they started meeting every day for prayer at this house. And they prayed for several weeks until April 9th of 1906 when the Holy Spirit was poured out and everybody in that house on Bonnie Bray Street was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. In fact, one young African-American woman in the midst of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit went to the piano in the living room and began to play a beautiful song on the piano. This was a big deal because this young lady had no idea how to play the piano. And as she began to play this music, she began to sing songs in languages she didn't even know. The very next night, word got out so quickly that the Holy Spirit was being poured out on this house that so many people showed up to the prayer meeting the next night that they filled the front porch of the house and it collapsed under the weight of all the people. And they realized, we need to find a better place to meet. And so they found an old, empty building that was cheap enough for them to rent, and it was at 312 Azusa Street. And on April 14th of 1906, they had the first meeting of what has become known as the Azusa Street Revival. 
that birthed the Pentecostal movement, which Kauai Bible Church, we are a part of that Pentecostal movement today. There was a desperation that led people to gather and to pray. And when people gather and pray, they see miracles begin to happen. Desperation. The third one that goes along with that is results. What drives us to engage in corporate prayer is results. And again, this is cyclical. The more that we pray, the more we're going to see results. And the more we share testimonies of those results, the more we're going to be encouraged to pray, which means we'll see more results and we'll share more testimonies. Right? When we read through the book of Acts, they were seeing results. They were seeing thousands upon thousands of new converts. They were seeing new churches being planted in cities all over the Roman Empire. They were praying for people in prison, and those people were getting miraculously delivered. Right? They were praying for signs and wonders, and there was miracles. People were coming back to life that were dead. People were getting delivered from demonic oppression and demonic possession. People were getting healed. People that had been blind and lame their entire lives suddenly were able to see and were able to walk. They were seeing results and the results drive them to pray more what does that mean that means first off we need to get better at sharing results come on we can be so shy and so timid man we need more people to say man i prayed and this is what happened and i prayed and god came through and we got a miracle come on i prayed or i shouldn't say i pray i should say we prayed as a church and we found a place to live we prayed and the bills got paid. We prayed. And my neighbors came to know Jesus Christ. Come on, we prayed. And our marriage was healed. The more we see results, the more we'll be driven to pray. And the last one is this. It's movements. Why was this early church in the book of Acts so passionate? Because they recognized that they were a part of a dynamic movement of God. They saw this as so much bigger than themselves. This was so much bigger than just, I go to church to feel good, or I say the name of Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. No, they saw this as they were the beginning of something, something new, something tangible, something exciting, and that there was a declaration over the church that they were to take this gospel message to the entire known world, to every ethnicity, to every people group, so that everyone would have a chance to hear the name of Jesus. And because they were a part of something so much bigger than themselves, a mission that was so beyond their own ability, something that was beyond their resources, something that was beyond anything they could do themselves, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. What's going to drive us to more corporate prayer is recognizing that this is so much bigger than us. This is so much bigger than just I go to church because that's what we do. It's so much bigger than, well, I like church because I feel good at church. It's so much bigger than just any of that. It's that we're a part of a movement that is to make disciples who make disciples until the gospel has spread to every people group and every language around the world. And that same mission that started on the book of Acts, that we are carrying the same torch today. And yes, we have a little bit more real estate than that first church had, and we might have a little more resources than that first church had, but the mission is still so much bigger than ourselves. When we see ourselves as being a part of a movement that is so much bigger than just us and our preferences, it will drive us to pray. 
the Holy Spirit, desperation, results, and movements. And can I just say something about results here? Results aren't always that you get the answer to your prayer exactly how you wanted it, exactly when you wanted it. I just feel led to say this. This wasn't even in my notes or anything, but, but I'm just trying to be obedient right now. Listen, we always pray. But we don't always pray because we always get the answer we need every time. We always pray because we're always depending on God. We always pray because there's nowhere else we can turn. And even if the answer isn't always exactly everything we wanted it to be, we still pray because to whom else could we turn? And to where else could we go? Sometimes the results aren't always measurable. When I was a youth pastor in Arizona, and we were in Lake Havasu, Arizona, which was a, a spring break hot spot. It was a party town. It was basically a nowhere spot in the middle of the desert, except that there was this huge, beautiful lake there that everybody liked to come and commit debauchery on. And so for teenagers in this town, they had nothing to do because, again, it's just a little blip in the middle of the desert. And so as a youth pastor, the greatest challenge was to keep kids away from the parties and to keep them out of all of the trouble and to give them something to do that could focus their life. And, and, and so what I started to do as a youth pastor is I told the kids every day after school, I will pick you up from school in the church van and we will come down to the church after school and we will pray. And I know that sounds like an awful sales pitch, but there was a bunch of kids who were into it. And we started picking up these young people, and we would spend an hour every afternoon after school praying together, praying together. Eventually, this group of kids, God started opening doors for us to travel to other churches all around Arizona and Nevada and California and Utah. And so we would travel to these other churches, and we would perform dramas and preach the gospel and, and do all of these things. And one of the things I remember people saying wherever we went with this group of teenagers is they just say, you know, I can't really put my finger on it. But we could just sense that you guys are saturated in prayer. We can just sense that you guys are soaked in something. See, sometimes the results aren't always measurable. But God opens doors and takes you to places and empowers you for ministries that nobody ever thought you'd be capable of. Why? Because you committed yourself to gathering and to praying. All right, I got to get it back on track here. Whew. Come on, let's talk about the power of corporate prayer. We're going to go through these, and then we're going to close by praying together and worshiping together. Amen. What's the power of corporate prayer? What's the significance of us praying together? Now, this is not to say that private prayer doesn't work or that private prayer is bad. We should have a balance in our lives of private prayer and corporate prayer. Now, over the last year and a half, we have preached a bunch on private prayer. We have encouraged us as a church to be in the secret place, to be alone with Jesus, to build that intimacy and to have that private prayer life. So this is not discounting private prayer, but this is talking specifically about the power of corporate prayer when we gather together. The first one is this, is that when we pray corporately, there is a promised presence. 
The presence of God is promised. In 2 Chronicles, Solomon builds the temple, right? David wanted to build it, but God told David, nope, you're not going to build it. There's too much blood on your hands. Your son's going to build it because your son is going to grow up in peace. And he's not going to know war and bloodshed. And so Solomon builds the temple. And in 2 Chronicles 6, they dedicate the temple. And Solomon prays this long, powerful prayer. And he concludes his prayer in 2 Chronicles 6 and verse 40 by declaring, Now, oh my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. And how does God respond to that prayer? Now, this is corporate prayer. How do we know that? Because the Bible says the entire nation of Israel was gathered in front of the temple as they are praying together. What does God do in response to this corporate prayer? Look at 2 Chronicles 7, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on their pavements with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord. Come on, when they worshiped, when they prayed corporately, the presence of God fell like fire to the point that all they could do was lay on their faces because the presence of God was so powerful. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Jesus promised, anytime you gather in my name, anytime you pray and you've got at least two or three people, my presence is going to show up. Come on, there is a promised presence of God when we pray corporately. The second thing is promised answers. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles 7. So what happens? The fire of God falls. Everybody's laid out with their faces on the ground. And then God begins to speak. And he begins to speak and he starts to warn them, if you turn away from me, if you forget the commandments, if you forget this place, then I will send judgments, right? There'll be famine. There'll be difficulty. There'll be disease. And then he gets to verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 7, where he says, and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God says, if we as his people, plural, will gather together and humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, God says, I will hear. And I will answer. John 14, 13, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And again in verse 14, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Why is this significant in talking about corporate prayer? Because Here's the thing, especially in our Western culture, we tend to personalize everything, right? We like to take every promise from the Bible, and we like to just personalize it for ourselves. But when you actually study the language that the Bible was written in, there were different forms of pronouns. And here in John 14, verses 13 and 14, the pronoun you is in the plural form. He's saying if you together will ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
Now, of course, we have to balance that with the rest of the Bible, that we have to ask those things in the will of God with the right motivation. But there are promised answers. When? When we pray together. How about shared burdens? Sometimes prayer can seem overwhelming, right? We look at the world, and and there's nations that are falling apart, and there's military overthrows, and there's hurricanes, and there's flooding, and there's fires, and there's death, and, 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 and there's lots of people that need to be saved, and it could just be overwhelming. Where do I start? Where do I even begin? Who do I pray for? Well, listen, when we pray together, we share that burden, and it's not an overwhelming load. Because we carry it for one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The power of corporate prayer is that we have increased faith. There's something about being with other people of faith that there is this multiplication effect. Right? God said that if one can put 1,000 to flight, two could put 10,000. Right? There's not an additive effect. There's an exponential effect. There's a multiplication effect. When we gather together, there's something about being in a room with other people that believe that causes us to believe more. Sometimes when we're praying alone, we can just get discouraged, and I don't know what to say, and Lord, are you even hearing me? And, and, and I'm, it's just ridiculous. Why would I even ask for big things? But, man, when we're in a room with other people that are praying together, man, our faith increases. It multiplies together. Another benefit of corporate prayer is that we learn how to pray. Listen, if you don't know how to pray, if you're just like, man, you know, I'm kind of new to church, and I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to God. The best way to learn how to pray is to be in corporate prayer because the more you hear other people praying, the more you're going to learn how to pray and you're going to find your own voice and you're going to be able to develop your own prayer life. When you're hearing other people pray as you gather together. And the last one is this, is we fight as an army. We fight as an army. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Come on, when we pray together, we fight as an army. Because that is what we are called to be. We are not called to be the lone ranger. We are not called to be the ninja assassin that we just go out on our own and we get things done for the kingdom. No, there is a war that is going on and we are called to fight it together as an army. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Again, these command words to pray, it's written in the plural form. He's saying, with all prayer and petition, pray together at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Come on, he's saying, let's pray together. Let me have the worship team come back up today. Let's pray together. Lloyd Stilley, who is a pastor in the state of Alabama, 
He said it like this. God has sovereignly ordained the corporate praying of a church such that his mighty workings increase exponentially and his purposes are accelerated when we pray together. Think about that. God's mighty workings increase exponentially and his purposes are accelerated. When? When we pray together. That is how God has established prayer. Right? When Jesus showed up at the temple... He got ticked off and started flipping tables over and started driving people out, started opening up cages and letting doves fly away. Why was Jesus so upset? Because his expectation when he came to the temple was that he would find people praying. He says, my father wants his house to be a house of prayer, and you guys have made it a den of thieves. When Jesus comes, he wants to find the people of God gathering. He wants to find them praying. In the Old Testament, or even when Jesus showed up at the temple, the temple was the place. Now in the New Testament, the place is anywhere that believers are gathered together. Anywhere that believers are gathered together, the church manifests in that place. And anywhere that we are gathered together, Jesus wants to see us praying. And if we'll start praying, his presence will show up in powerful ways. And we'll start getting more answers. And we'll start waging more warfare. And we'll see our faith increase. And we'll start seeing more results. And we'll start seeing more of the Holy Spirit. And it will become cyclical as we have a greater desire to pray. So how do we respond to this? We start making every gathering of Kauai Bible Church an opportunity for corporate prayer. Belong groups. Come on, let's start seeing more corporate prayer in our belong groups. And I am number one guilty of this, so I'm not trying to point the finger at anybody. But, you know, you have your group meeting, you do your Bible study, you have your discussion, and then you just kind of want to wrap things up. So you just pick one person and say, hey, can you close the meeting in prayer? All right, we prayed. We checked that off the list. We prayed. No. Let's start in our belong groups. Let's start setting aside a chunk of time for everybody to pray together. Not just one person closing the meeting really quick, but taking the time to commit ourselves to corporate prayer. In our rooted groups, which our rooted groups are small groups. There's usually only two or three people in them. I tell you what, Robin and I, were in our rooted group, and we meet at the, the food court at the mall every Wednesday. And so at the end of our meeting this past Wednesday, we stopped and prayed. And again, I scolded myself for just always saying, let's one of us close in prayer real quick. And I told Robin, I was like, let's just take some time to pray right now. And so I don't know if Robin closed my eyes, but I closed mine. And Robin was praying, and I was praying, and Robin was praying. And man, something just began to happen. Man, I just felt the spirit begin to move, and it was almost surreal. After several minutes, like I opened up my eyes, and I almost had to like remind myself, oh, yeah, we're in the middle of the mall. Because it just felt like for a moment, man, we were caught up to heaven. More prayer in our rooted groups, but also more prayer in our Sunday service gatherings. And here's what I'd like to do. I would like to rebrand pre-service prayer. Pre-service prayer as it currently exists is we pray at about 8.30-ish until about 8.50. And those that are like really super dedicated to prayer show up at 8.30 for pre-service prayer. 
I want to rebrand this. Because why does prayer have to start before service? Right? Technically, the moment we start praying, service has started. Right? Now, here's the thing. So for guests, for people that come for the first time, on our website, it's still going to say that service starts at 9 a.m. But what if for the rest of us, what if service starts at 8.30? And it's not pre-service prayer. It's just prayer. And we're just going to gather to pray. And we're going to make a commitment to be here early because we don't want to miss out on maybe the most powerful part of service, which is when we gather to pray together. And don't let anything stop you. Say, well, I got young kids. I don't want to come early to pray. Don't let anything stop you. Listen, how are we going to get a new generation raised in a model and a culture of prayer if we're not willing to go through the trouble of bringing our kids to church prayer meetings? And even if they're a little bit of a distraction, and even if they don't fully understand what's going on, they're going to be raised in a culture of prayer. So this is how we're going to respond. We're just going to start bringing corporate prayer into everything. And we're going to start getting better at sharing testimonies and letting people know about the results. And we're going to start crying out for more of the Holy Spirit. And as we get more of the Holy Spirit, I believe we're going to start seeing more people gather and more people want to pray and more people want to be in a belong group and more people want to be in a rooted group because there's a desperation that's building up because there is something bigger than us happening and we want to see more of God. Amen. Will you stand together with me?